0: Mark A. Altman, Darren Doctorman, Ashley Edward Miller, three fans who became professionals and then became Trexperts, inglorious Trexperts. Listen wherever you find podcasts or go to trexpertsplus.com.
1: Virginia, there may not be a Santa Claus, but there is a GalaxyCon. And
0: guess who's coming? <laughs> it's going to be us, the Inglorious Trexperts in As Richmond, in- Virginia.
1: Inglorious live tour 2023 continues. Wow. Darren and me, Mark A. Altman, will be in Richmond at GalaxyCon. On, uh, when is it, Darren? It's March 24th through 26th. March 24th to March 26th in lovely Richmond, Virginia. And there are going to be a ton of great guests. But none of that matters because we're there. We're there. We are a ton
0: of great guests.
1: We are indeed. (laughs) And we're excited because GalaxyCon is where it's at. These guys put on great shows with great guests, a great dealer's room, and plenty of entertainment. And we'll be doing... And more. That's exactly. <laughs> the illusion of beauty and more. So uh, I'm I'm really excited, Darren. It's gonna be a great chance to. Um, well, I was gonna say a great chance for you to meet the fans. That's and, right. Uh, for me, for me us, to meet the fans, not you. That's, that's <laughs> right. That's right. I'll be eluding uh, deadly scooter accidents. Oh my but, god! Uh, but I'm 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 excited because, uh, like I said, um, uh, the the Inglorious Live Tour, or I, as I call it, my farewell tour. This is like uh, the Who. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm on my farewell tour, but we know how that turned out. Um, they've been on the same farewell tour now for 50 years. That's right. Um, <laughs> uh, 40 that a, years. That I was think. a Godfather reference. Godfather <laughs> two, actually. Yeah, he die, died of the same heart attack since. But uh, but it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be great. Uh, Jody Whitaker is gonna be there. Rosario Dawson, Kevin Smith, uh, Bill Shatner, Brent Spiner. Um, no, this is Columbus.
0: That's Columbus. <laughs> That's Columbus. You gotta I'm click talking, on the click on the Richmond one. I'm talking about Richmond, Virginia. I don't think they
1: have all of their guests up there. They don't. Um, uh, but Vincent are going to be there. David Tennant's going to be there. Oh, one of our favorite people. You know who's going to be there? Not only is Bill Schneider going to be there, Walt Kaney's going to be there. We love Walt. Oh, good. Yeah, it'd be good to see him. Maybe we can uh, maybe, maybe we we'll, can show uh, him
0: another movie he hasn't seen in thirty
1: years. <laughs> Jonathan Frakes will be there. Gates is going to be there, and nice. uh, they're just starting to announce some of these guests. But the list goes on and on. Um, And it's going to be got Oh, Mariel Hemingway from My Favorite Movie, Manhattan. Nice. And uh, maybe if we can moderate a panel with her. I guess she's there for Superman 4, but we can talk about personal best in Manhattan. Oh, I think they'll be go over the heads of the audience. They'll be like, what? 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 What's going on here? Um Sarah <laughs> Douglas is going to be there. We haven't seen her since oh, uh, and Lola's. And Lola's. <laughs> yeah. Superman. That'll be great. Uh, Mark Pillow, Nuclear Man, is going to be there. Nice. And of course, the great Barry Boswick uh, yes. will be there, star of such... Great legendary movies as Force. So uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. We're going to be there. We hope you'll be there too. Uh, check out galaxycon.com for all the details. And we'll see you in Richmond, Virginia this March. Well, we know the holidays are over, but uh, it's not too late to pick up some great and glorious Trexpert
0: swag. Because we know you didn't get everything you wanted. No. But you will find everything you want. Uh, through a wonderful link from our TrexpertsPlus.com uh, page, and uh, it will let you in on some Trexperts swag.
1: It'll take you right to Kirox Corner, where you can get your, <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I survived Colinar, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt, and a bunch of other <laughs> really great stuff, including Br- Inglorious Trexperts branded merchandise. Wow, that's that's, that's pretty cool. You could show off your pride in Inglorious Trexperts
0: pride. Yeah, and uh, and your uh, Jessica von Puttermaker shirt.
1: And in fact, if you show up at one of our convention appearances in inglorious Trexpert's attire, you will get a special gift.
0: Well, the, the gift is we will look you in the eyes and smile. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mark will actually talk to you. So oh my uh, <laughs> I
0: didn't want to overpromise. <laughs>
1: He won't. He won't. He won't uh, walk away. And he will acknowledge you your
0: existence. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, uh, if you're interested, check out this great um, Inglorious uh swag at uh, trexpertsplus.com. and tell them Darren sent you.
0: Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and this is Darren Dockterman, and Ashley Edward Miller, and we are the inglorious Trexperts holiday special with special guest from the
2: undisclosed location, Robert Meyer Burnett. It's like you're like Zane Zeminski in The Arrival. My God, I am like Zane Zeminski in The Arrival, fighting against Ron Silver. That's
1: right. One of the great character actors. We should have a, a character actor SmackDown. It's Ron Silver versus Steven Tablowski. It's hey. GT Walt versus <laughs> Paul Giamatti. We could do this all day. It'd be you awesome.
2: Know, Ron Silver, of course, was in Wise Guy in the second season of Wise Guy. I I wish Ron Silver was on Star Trek. Yeah. Oh, it would have been too. great. Wouldn't it have been great to have Ron Silver play like some arrogant scientist? He, he definitely yeah, would have made the top, top 100. 100. Time Cop. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Speaking are great character actors, so I'm watching um, Justice League Unlimited with Isaac today because uh, he he's he's trying to get me into it, and I am. It's really good. Um, and you know who played the question? Jeffrey Combs. Yes, he did. He was fantastic. <laughs> he's fantastic. He's so good in it. He's so good in it. And it's so great because I'm always trying to like guess the uh, who's doing the voice. There's, there's so many that Andrea Romano was a gift. She did um the casting on those DC animated series. It's just brilliant.
3: And, and she's just a great voice director. And the thing that I can tell you about Jeff is, man, he is, there is fearless and then there is fearless when it comes to actors. I mean, you think about something like The Frighteners and just how unhinged yeah. that performance was. But I, I've seen the man even just doing voice performance and going completely honking unhinged, which is exactly what I wanted from him. But it was miraculous to watch the animators try to keep up with his madness. Like, he just gave zero Fs and just, he will go for it, no matter what it is. He'll go sort of very internal, and then he'll go very loud and crazy and just, it, you just don't know what you're going to, he's you, like a box of chocolates. You That's think he's
1: going to be on our list again? Because he, I know there, there's some of our listeners out there who think that we should have um, rules, like Captains have to be in the top ten or something, or in the top twenty. All the captains. If you're a captain, you're automatically in the top ten or or the top twenty. That's our not how rule this thing is works. Is if you're Jeffrey Combs, you have to be on the list eighteen times. Yes. <laughs> I, I know. We, you know, we not everybody knows your rules, guys. I, I wish we'd gotten that before we did our list, so we could know the rules that we're breaking. Because some some people are, are going to be very disappointed because uh, we didn't get the memo that if you're a captain. You have to be in the top twenty on the list, or something like that. Something like that. How oh, does that some work? Of the,
0: some of the members on this list are lucky to be on the list. hundred and one greatest Star Trek characters,
1: plus the twenty captains <laughs> in the top twenty. I mean, I like. I don't, is there a footnote or an asterisk, or how do you tell people like, oh, well, we, if you're a Star Trek captain, you're immediately, you're automatically on. The on. List. You're on the list.
3: Yeah. it's like there's like a little, the blue
1: check. Yeah. Yeah, that there's, is not a, pretty- there's
3: no guarantees in this game. No guarantees. If you it's really want to you know need- the,
1: if you right, if you want to know the rules, what's the title of the holiday special? 101 Greatest Star Trek <laughs> Characters Ever. That's
0: oh, the criteria. The other thing is the Inglorious Trek spurts. That's the other clue.
3: That's right.
0: Trek and Spurts. Yeah, well, but I see. I don't even go
1: there. I know you. You know, you guys <laughs> don't like the gatekeeping thing. It doesn't have to be Trek. This is just 101 greatest Star Trek characters ever. You don't have to say it's the Trek experience. It's it not is. a gate. It's we're a telling you. We're, we're telling you the way it is. You can either listen or not listen, but this is the way it is. That's right. But and ten years, you'll realize we're right. You may have characters you like more. That's great. You should. You know, not everybody. Agrees. Your own podcast. But, but, we're telling you who the best characters are. These are, are. You our rules. We make Believe us or not, or not.
2: <laughs> that's the way it is. Rob, it's good to see you. How are how it's you? It's good to be here. And you know, I, I like the fact that. We don't have immediate pushback on these. We can record them and make them the way we want, Well because we always, are. After always. I just, I'm an adjunct, uh, track expert prof, professor.
1: No, no, Rob, you are a true track expert. You're a true gamester, and uh, <laughs> you're, you're. But you have your own network. You're, you're, you're provider f- number four. You, you yeah. know, if, if you were here every week, we, we it wouldn't be as cool.
2: You know. Oh no, like, I love that. I love coming in uh, as a ringer. You, you know, because <laughs> it's like uh, you know.
1: Too much of a good thing, even love. <laughs> and it's just like I, I, I prefer you know Rob just drops by and he drops the truth bombs and then he's gone, like Lucy <laughs> in the Sky with Diamonds. Oh, the best, yeah, yeah, the best. So uh, this is our penultimate episode, okay, uh, Part if we're Eight. We're lucky. Um, that's the, that's the plan. Although I got we got a surprise. Everybody's thinking, okay, finally. I really enjoyed the countdown, but I'm looking forward to them getting back to their regular episodes. Uh-huh. Not so yeah. fast. Not so fast. fast right. You're never breath. getting back to regular episodes. Because coming in two weeks is the one hundred and one greatest Star Trek characters. The rebuttal. And we're going to also in, have to be like three or four episodes. <laughs> we're going to bring on some of your, your favorite
0: guests who are going to tell us why we're wrong. Right. <laughs> and then we will tell them why they're wrong. Then we shout them down and cut off their
1: microphones. <laughs> I paid for this microphone. <laughs> to put them in the red chair and you know because uh, we're all big enough to take a few insults see that's the thing people don't understand debate anymore oh you hurt my feelings you put somebody at 73 that i really like and they should have been at 42 it's like too bad I get know. over it, it this
3: goes 91 you know
1: so f off get over it and that's why we're doing the rebuttal because i i want to have people tell us that we're wrong and yell at us and be mad and but tell not us for silly reasons, reasons. Who we but not for silly reasons. We're bringing on the we're bringing on people who are his trexpertise, whose trexpertise meets or exceeds even our own. Well, maybe it no, doesn't exceed that, it, but exactly, it is. But yeah, but, but they 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 have uh, they have they worth listening to.
0: There can be an important voice in the new order, second only to my own. <laughs> That's where ideas begin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Superman. <laughs> um. So, so, anyway, you know, it's a rainy, miserable day here in Los Angeles, and uh, what better night than to record a uh, 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 an episode? And this has been interesting because we've spent a lot of time together these last few months recording <laughs> these these these
0: things. I'm I'm kind of going to miss it
1: when it's over. Well,
0: Thank the great you. thing is, after the rebuttal night, we start right on 2024's uh, list for the holiday specials, the 53-part episode.
1: I think when we finish the countdown, we should just have a picture on social of Riker screaming, I can't believe it's over. <laughs> <laughs> We've already done that. <laughs> I think this, it's pretty good, though. I know, but that was 30
0: years yeah, what, ago nobody that remembers.
3: Year, <laughs> I think next year should be like, well, this year actually, as it turns out, the 101 greatest lines of dialogue in Star Trek. We did. We do. we best quotes, like that. or maybe it was <laughs> yeah. moments. It might have been. Yeah, yeah, it was moments,
1: but it turned
0: out to be quotes. That's. We, yeah. We, we could do quotes, though. I'd like to do yeah. quotes. I don't know. But, well, I, what we what we should do is we should do an, an entire episode of only quotes. <laughs> Where we just talking talk quotes? to each other only in quotes. That's yeah, what I'm sorry, mean. but Rob and I already did
1: that movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> bring back
2: ebionics
1: yeah that was in the uh, in the cd uh, this the soundtrack album to um <laughs> to Free enterprise was the little ebionics glossary of uh translating all the geek terms into english it uh, um, it didn't
0: work people still didn't understand they still didn't understand they didn't, they didn't get it. Uh, we drained four phases and they still came.
1: You know, a lot of people make New Year's resolutions, you know, in, in, for a new year. And this is still fairly early in, in
0: 2023.
1: Do you guys have, uh, what are your Star Trek resolutions?
0: My my New Year's resolution uh, is 4K all the way. Come on, yeah, that's a joke. Bad. Come on, that's it's funny. That's funny. funny. Oh, my God.
1: Well, so I mean, but a dead 4K <laughs> for Bill McKay, the candidate in 4K. No, uh, My Star up.
2: Trek resolution is to stop being uh, as negative as uh, as I am to new fans. To to bring new fans into the franchise, no matter what they like, and encourage them to continue to explore the vast cosmos that is Star Trek. And then explore the things
0: that they aren't
2: liking
1: yet. No, yeah. I, Rob, I think that's a very noble aspiration, you know, because look, we've said it three this days. before <laughs> I, I because you know, um the great thing about Star Trek is it's a very big tent. It's a very big tent. A lot of people like different things. And, and yeah. nobody pitches a tent better than Rob. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I'm kidding. I go there? Let <laughs> that happen. Well, I, think-
2: I mean, I cannot tell a lie. That's what
1: I've been told. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ. Um, that's a- uh, anyway, I'm saying I think it's a good thing. I mean, we've always said about this podcast, we celebrate what we love and that we respect the fact that you know people have, um, they love all kinds of different Star Trek's. It's when they try and apply their likes to us, yeah, you should like this. How dare you say this, right? Not I dare you know, I and it, it's like, uh, I double dare you, <laughs> double dog, I triple dog dare you. You
0: there want to goes, fool me? Uh,
3: You want to, you know, while we wait (laughs) for Mark to unfreeze. Bonk, bonk. uh, I, my, my Star Trek resolution for 2023 is born of a a rather disturbing incident with my twins tonight. As I was getting them all ready after they had swimming practice, and and uh, they said, "Daddy, your favorite things are coffee and Batman." I said, "Yes, but also Star Trek."
2: (laughs) <laughs> and they looked at
3: me and they said, almost in stereo, what's Star Trek? The twins oh said God. this? The twins said this. And my jaw hit the floor. Now look, I've tried to be like the geek dad who who lets his children come to right, come to the mountain rather mm-hmm. than taking the mountain to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is just a little too much, even for me. According- so I about
0: According to Starfleet. Procedural rules. That question has opened up any transmissions you wish to show them. That's exactly uh, <laughs> right. So, so my, tr- you know, my, my, uh,
3: my, my big resolution is, you know, the, the twins notwithstanding, I am definitely going to begin Caden's uh, curated tour of the series.
1: Starting with the original. Forty six years I've awaited the question. Question. Exactly.
3: (laughs) Since your son burned hot in the sky, since your son had to change out of his swim trunks at swim practice, (laughs) I have awaited a question. Uh so that's my that's my big resolution is uh I am going to get those little bastards into Star
1: Trek. That's exciting.
2: Yeah, Yeah, it is exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They seem into it. Well, I'm very excited. I'm very excited on everything we've heard about watching uh, the new Picard season yeah. three. You know, it's no secret. I'm not, I I wasn't particularly uh, in love with the first two seasons. But I, I, I'm so excited uh, from what we've heard from Terry and obviously from Rob and uh, just uh, and John Frakes and everybody um, that uh, it's, it's very exciting. And uh, I'm looking forward to it because I want, you know, what was it? Dave Parker said, the magic is back inside of me. I want that magic back. Instantly. I want that magic of Star Trek back and since you know we're not going to get that uh when it comes to uh, TOS, next best thing is to get that through uh, TNG. Well,
2: I think one of the, you know, if nothing else, the great thing about Picard season 3 is the character interplay. And and with all of the interaction between the characters, there's really interesting themes that are resonant throughout the 10 episodes and it really feels like, yeah, you get a big sprawling story, but ultimately at the core, it's, it's a human story about, about friends, family. Uh, it, it resonates about time passing and it's, it's just, it's something that we all loved Star Trek for in the first place, which is, is yeah, the space, the allegorical space adventure is great, but it's really the characters and it's, it's the humanity. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, What's really interesting about I feel about modern Star Trek is I think that it's at war like the the writers want to write that. They're trying to write great human stories, but they're they're competing with the allegorical science fiction that they're less familiar with. Mm. And and I think that, you know, speculative fiction Unless you're a fan of that, when you, when you go back and you look at the original series, there were a lot of, whether it was Robert Block, whether it was Theodore Sturgeon, Samuel Peoples, there, were, there was a lot of... Harlan Ellison. Uh, Harlan Ellison. Um, there was a lot of writers who were working in speculative fiction in other uh, formats, whether it was novels, uh, long-form movies, uh, short stories, that kind of thing. And they understood that genre But a lot of people now don't have experience with science fiction. So we're getting like, for instance, extrapolations a thousand years in the future, like in the 31st century. And there's a lot of, okay, we have a fuel shortage in the 31st century. I mean, I understand allegorically how that might work. But now you have to tell me, you have to make me believe it. You know, you can't just say, well, all the dilithium's been destroyed by a petulant child having a tantrum because the science fiction of it all is kind of missing yeah well,
1: you know it's funny a lot of these people that you allude to also um had a lot of experience in anthology storytelling yep. you know on, on a lot of the shows of the 50s and early 60s and a lot of the science fiction shows were an anthology. so they, they've thought about a lot of different kinds of stories. So by the time they get to Star Trek, um you know they they have all this 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 plethora of ideas and concepts and things that they can apply to you know a one- hour dramatic series and i I think that really helped too. Well, something that Robert Wolf said uh,
3: when uh, we started on Andromeda was that he felt it was easier for him to teach a professional television or screenwriter how to write science fiction than it was to teach a science fiction writer how to write for television. I think there was some truth to that. But I think that the, the, the key that may be missing is that you need to have somebody in the center who truly understands science fiction now i can guarantee you that robert truly understands science fiction and he truly loves it and I, I i don't know that we're that we're in a place where you know you've other than people who say well i really like star trek uh, where you've got people who are as deeply into what you're talking about rob which is using fiction to explore big ideas in a dramatic way that's different. That is different than just being a fan and doing next generation karaoke.
1: Yeah. Well, and speaking of big ideas, let's continue our countdown at number 16. We're getting into it. This is the top 16. We've 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 started one-on-one. We've made it 16. Hopefully we'll get to number one. But right now it's number 16. And we're back on Deep Space Nine with a character who was there for six amazing seasons um, of course we're talking about Jadzia Dax I'm sorry Played by the wonderful, the bullion,
0: luminous, beautiful, luminous,
1: luminous Terry Farrell, who uh took um who, who developed the concept of the trill that had been introduced in uh, The Next Generation, in the episode The Host, and took it to plumbed new depths in this character. Uh, a trill that it had experienced many lifetimes, because of course, inside this host is the, the worm, which is the real the re the, the real brains of the operation. And uh wow, and what an evolution Terry had in this character. She was cast very late in the production of the pilot. She had no idea what she was getting into. She, they, they didn't know how to write for her. They're throwing all this techno babble at her. They thought, you know, kind of like the female Spock. Um, and uh meanwhile, uh, Julian Bashir is chasing her around like uh they're in fifth grade, like but- Pepe Le Pew. At some point, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I
3: will take you to the Casbah.
1: <laughs> but then at some point, it all clicked. The writers figured out how to write her. Terry knew exactly how to play her. Because they suddenly they made her like the heroine of a screwball comedy. They realized, oh, my God, Terry is funny. Why are we giving her all this crappy techno babble science nonsense when we can make her, you know, funny and body and just like she lived all these lifetimes. She doesn't have any F's to give. And, and 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 when they realized that it was they were off to the races and she was one of the most important and wonderful aspects. And you could pair her with anyone and she was always delightful. Put her with Bashir, fantastic. Her relationship with Cisco, fantastic. Her major Kira, great. Oh, I mean any character you Wolf. pair with. And then you know, it, you got to wonder, okay, Worf comes to Deep Space Nine, you know, how's that going to work? And, you know, we we know how the Troy-Worf relationship uh, worked in the uh, sixth and seventh season of Next Gen, but oh my God, what a magical relationship between Worf and uh, and Dax in that fifth and sixth season, uh, it, the, the most unlikely duo, uh, and yet it seemed inevitable and it, it, she's a remarkable character it's a it, brilliantly played super fun um and and super interesting and unlike anything we had seen in the previous shows which is which is what we're really rewarding in this list is originality right we're trying to avoid the xerox characters so this is a character that we hadn't seen in tos you could say a oh, little spock in her yes there is and you know then have we seen her in 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 tng absolutely not because you gotta remember tng had of all the shows probably some of the, the most beloved but the weakest writing for female characters deep space Nine rectified that in a big way very big way i mean i i
3: i, I analyze what happened with jedzia dax in this way that when they began writing her what they were writing was a female science officer named Jadzia Dax and she was a trill and that she knew all this science crap because she was a trill right like that was the character and I think what ended up happening what brought her out was they stopped trying to write Jadzia Dax and they started writing Curzon Dax yeah and they let the old man out That's but exactly they had like- him in the body of this luminous woman and who by the way never lost that aspect of, of who she was. And when Worf came aboard, I think what made them click was number one, deep down, Gerzon likes to party like a Klingon. Yeah. And and Gerzon has a lot of Klingon pals, you know? It's like Dax understands Klingons. There is inherently, you know, she looks at Worf and she sees somebody that she knows, that she yeah. recognizes. Because it's a bromance. Uh, it's, it is a bromance, you know, but at the same time, it, it doesn't take away you know, in in the in the most positive, like affirming sense, you know, from her femininity, it's like yeah. there is it, it is it's, it's added almost a, completely. It's a perfect yin yang oh in this character, and that's why, like, I think that balance is what made her so special. Um, and when they found that balance, then suddenly she came alive because she could spout the techno babble if she had to, but
0: she could believably be the Doctor Boyce. Right.
3: To Cisco. Yeah. And Um, that's
2: exactly why uh, her relationship with Cisco worked better. Absolutely. Uh, Well, and also, I mean, they didn't shy away from her sex appeal either. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, they let her be. I mean, obviously, she was an incredibly beautiful woman, but the idea that she had been probably an old man, she had had these different lives. They they allowed her to be a gorgeous woman. But at the same time, they never treaded on that. But, you know, when you saw her in Troubles and Tribulations, I yeah. love 23rd Century Design. You know, well, and then yeah, McCoy, he had the hands of a surgeon even then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was there was so many great things that they they leaned into with with Jadzia, and as the show went along, they just gave her more and more uh, dimension. I believe uh, her time with McCoy
0: was when she was uh, eminy, Dax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> Don't say that wrong.
1: Uh-huh. Well, right. Uh huh. Well, uh, just a great character, and and you know, look, uh, Darren and I, um, we had a great time with Terry uh, in in uh, Columbus. Uh, she is, you know, she she is a reincarnation of somebody like Carol Lombard, or these great screwball uh, uh, comedy uh, uh, heroines of 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 like thirties and forties cinema, and and we had so much fun with her, and and the panel was so great. So great. And unfortunately, they didn't record it. And they told us they were recording it, but it wasn't recorded. And it was heartbreaking because um uh, it, I have to say Darren in particular was on top of his game. And the two of them were brilliant. I could just sit back and enjoy the whole thing. And um, I hope, you know, we'll get to do it again Uh for the I know she wants to come on the show um,
0: because it was just really uh, amazing. It was it was a lot of fun. And uh, we spent Half of the uh, panel talking about everything but Star Trek that she was in. So that was, uh, it was a lot of fun. So, yeah. She's back to school, school baby. It.
2: Back to
1: school. We did. We, yeah, we talked right. about back to school at length, which When was, I was, was, I was uh, uh,
3: casting for Dota, like I was out looking for Star Trek people and Hellraiser people, right? And I was like, oh yeah,
1: Andy Robbins, in Star Trek
2: and Hellraiser. She was in But I
3: completely forgot that she was in Hellraiser 3.
1: I remember when Deep, Space, when Deep Space Nine was on the air. I was such a Terry Farrell fan. I I, I rented Hellraiser three and, and sat through the whole movie. Yeah, it's not so even... that shows you what a huge fan I am of Terry Farrell to sit wow. through that movie. Okay, right. that brings us to number fifteen. And speaking of Klingons, Rob, it's another Klingon.
2: Well, you know, I have to say, uh, the first best Klingon, uh, the man who set the tone, uh, John Colicos or Calicos, Colicos. um. As core, the Dahar master. Come Mark
0: You dare interrupt the battle of Clock the Kneel, Brat? You furring Kneel. Battle is over. People are waiting to
2: celebrate your victory. They are lead the way there. <laughs> uh, you know, even now when I go back and I watch this episode, uh, this was the very first time we saw the Klingons. Obviously, they were call them what you want, but they were our they were they were the Cold War, the stand in for our Cold War villains. Right. And Erend uh, of Mercy. The Errand of Mercy was a fantastic episode, but what I love about this is here you have Kor beaming down to Organia and setting up, thinking thinking they've got they've got all the you know, don't know that uh, Kirk who's undercover as Barona that the Federation has been there is watching their every move, and the Federation uh, th- this could be a point of war. War could could break out. And what I love about Core is, yes, he he literally could be a mustache twirling villain, but you watch Core and Shatner, you watch uh, John Colicos—is it Colicos or Calicos? It's Colicos. It is Colicos. Yeah. You watch, you watch John Colicos and William Shatner develop almost a bromance in this episode, Absolutely. and what should be a mustache twirling villain is a guy you start to like. And we as the audience, because you understand the way he speaks. I mean, he doesn't necessarily want to kill civilians. You know, he's doing what he has to do. He's a man of honor, duty, necessary. But what's really interesting is you watch both of these guys. I mean, he doesn't know that it's Kirk in disguise. But if these, this is where Star Trek set the tone. Star Trek's best, they were not villains, they were antagonists. A ram among the sheep. And I mean, it was... Great to watch him, and I watch that swagger, and I watch him. I mean, to me, he embodied everything that Klingons were. And to be fair, Michael Anzara came close as as Kang in 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 um, uh, later on in Day of the Dove, but he was just a little more on the cartoon side, a little just more a on little the cartoon bit. side. And but but Core showed you that the, there's a reason why we still have Klingons today mm-hmm. because the he played a character, he was operatic. Yet cunning, and and he could he had a sense of humor, yeah. Uh, and and you admired everything about him. And if if this performance had gone a different way, or that episode wasn't as well written as it is, we might not have ever had Klingons again. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the anyone who's a Star Trek fan knows that when they brought back when they brought back. William Campbell, and they brought back Michael Anzar and John Colicos in the second season of Deep Space Nine in, in Blood Oath. Uh, what a joy that was. Yeah. And, and, and that's when, you know, in terms of that's when the producers really knew how to play on Star Trek's history and not shy away. Sure, we didn't know what the augment virus was yet. And they gave him the new makeup, which some people bumped on. But still, and you saw it was 30 years later almost and and nothing had changed. And I think that that one of the great things about the original series especially was the you cannot the casting of all of the antagonists for the most part. We talked about Balance of Terror yesterday uh, or the other the episode seven. It, it, it was marvelous. Yeah. And Hi,
1: Rob, so- I just want to jump in for a second. I'll let you continue. I just want to say because you just mentioned it you know you had the three musketeers in blood oath which is super fun right yeah. um with the three klingons Kor, Kang, and 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 Koloth. and, and Koloth. Yeah. but it, 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 on par with errand of mercy is john calakos's last performance in soldier of the empire yes uh where he it plays a dying um core who just wants to die nobly to regain his lost honor rather than be a joke. And yeah, it's not quite as good as Aaron to mercy. No, but, but it, still, it, but it's a great episode.
3: It's well, The way they episode.
2: used him, you know, they kept bringing him back because he was in like once more into the breach. And, and he, 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 he just made that, he made that role his own. And again, what, what I think Star Trek did, and especially when next generation and deep space sign to a certain extent, *Voyager* even enterprise embraced these legacy characters they did so in such a really interesting way where they really honored not just the franchise, but they honored those actors by bringing them back and giving them a chance to shine. And a guy like John Colicos, obviously we know him from Battlestar Galactica. He was in practically every single television show in the late 60s and 70s. And I mean, the guy, the guy never failed. And, and what was so great was the end of Errand of Mercy when they realize the Organians have put a stop to their conflict, there's not going to be a battle. But the smile he gives when he says, okay, there's not going to be a battle, but it would have been glorious. And, yep. and that, that was everything you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, that he's, was he's, the Klingon Empire in one at, one, one performance.
0: He's playing it like Genghis Khan. You yeah. know, he's a he's, he's ruler of his people and uh, he knows what they like. Well, you even know? before that, how great is he when he
1: says, what gives you the right? And, you know, and, and, and Kirk and him the- are both arguing for the right to, to wage war. And they're so pissed yeah. off at the Organians. I yeah. mean, and, and it's like, and then suddenly they realize, that, you know, at least in Kirk's case, he's fighting. To, he's arguing, making the case for war. And he realized, yeah. oh, my God, what On am I doing? On side. It's and like guess, they're suddenly right. together. And then, how great is he? How dastardly, in a Baltar kind of way, when he's talking about the Mind Sifter? What the Mind Sifter
2: does to you? Right. Yeah, I mean, no, it, it's true, and it's it's. But again, you know, at the end of that episode, it was pretty audacious to show mm-hmm. to show that scene. But you realize that, in a way, I can I don't know what it was like seeing Errand of Mercy in the first season of, of the original series, but in a way, it kind of gave hope. Again, being optimistic about your adversary, that you could find common ground. And then at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, maybe you're not going to blow each other up. Maybe at the end of the day, you can find, even though it was induced by uh, omnipotent aliens, but still they had more in common than they had differences. And And his
1: disdain for the
2: Organians is so palpable. (laughs) It's so great.
1: (laughs) And you know, one of the other things that that brought out to
3: me is, and it's something that you know we've talked again and again about like the the roddenberry rule and all that other shit but but you know in aaron of mercy what's fascinating about kirk's moment there at the end with the organians when he suddenly weirdly finds himself you know arguing against the organians like on core side like they've been best friends this whole time is that it it underlines that the that the klingons are Accessibly human, like with a small h, right? That they right. are—we're not that different, yeah—from them, and and that's what makes Kirk somebody that we can access, right? He's not just sort of sitting there like on his high horse saying, "See, listen to the Organians, We just should be fine.
0: The humans and the Klingons are exactly the same
3: with yeah. different goals. Yes, exactly. It. And it's just, and it's interesting, right? It's like yeah. that's what makes it a great, interesting story. That's what makes core so great because he's like the anti-Kirk and like and not in a all his personality traits are the opposite. He's the nemesis, right? He's yeah. the guy that you want on the other side of the, the table to, to be the guy that he's up against. Um, and I love, obviously because I love Deep Space Nine, but uh, I love how Falstaffian he becomes in DS9, right? It's oh, yeah. like the, it's that. It's he's that old soldier, you know, who knew what he was doing and was into some shit once upon a time, you know, and kind of wants to get back to that, but it's kind of out of it. And I think really fuels what Mark was saying about Soldier of the Empire. But but Kor is just a great character from beginning to end.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know a couple of episodes ago, uh, some people were a little disappointed that we had the audacity to parse Ilea and Counselor Troy. Right. I got bad news for you. We're doing, We're doing it, again. Doing it. <laughs> again. Number 14. And number 14B. 14 14. Ashley, tell us. 14A <laughs> and B. No bloody C,
3: D, or E. Uh, so when Deep Space Nine was first conceived, the idea was that the first officer uh, would be a, uh, a character who was familiar to fans of the next generation a rather uh, feisty Bajoran ensign who was not afraid to put Captain Picard in his place, right? Somebody with a a real axe to grind against the Cardassians, a a Bajoran named Roe Laren, who very quickly, in spite of really only being in a handful of episodes, became kind of a fan favorite. Because she did break out of that, what I was just talking about with the Roddenberry rule, about conflict right? She falls into that that uh, Shelby category right. of the character who is just not afraid to call those smug bastards on the bridge of the Enterprise D out on their crap, right? But at the same time, in her own way, embodying the ideals of Star Trek. Uh, and uh, really the first character I think, to kind of bring forth, you know, one of the great themes of Deep Space Nine, which was, you know, it's easy to be a saint in paradise, which was always her message to the crew of the Enterprise. You're trying to be saints, but it's easy to do that when you're in paradise. And I've been in the other place now, history being what it is. Rolaren did not ultimately become that character on Deep Space Nine. So instead, an original character, a member of the Bojoran Defense Forces, uh, Major Kira Norris, later Lieutenant Colonel Kira Norris, uh, became the first
0: officer of DS9. Yes, I'm Benjamin Sisko.
1: I suppose you want the office.
0: Well, I thought I'd say hello first and then take the office. But we could do it in any order you'd like. Hello. Is something bothering you, Major?
2: You don't want to ask me that, Commander. Why not? Because I have the bad habit of telling the truth. Even when people don't want to hear it.
0: Perhaps I want to hear it.
2: I don't believe the Federation has any business being here.
0: The provisional government disagrees with you.
2: The provisional government and I don't agree on a lot of things, which is probably why they sent me to this godforsaken place. (sighs) I have been fighting for Bajoran independence since I was old enough to pick up a phaser. We finally drive the Cardassians out and what do our new leaders do? They call up the Federation and invite them right in.
0: The Federation is only here to help Help us.
2: Yes, I know. The Cardassians said the same thing 60 years ago.
0: Major, when I was ordered here, I requested a Bajoran national as my first officer. It made sense. It still does, at least to me. Now, you and I are going to have to find some way to... Yes,
2: Major. Odo, are you reading something at A14? My security array has been down for two hours. I'll meet you there. We've been having a lot of break-ins lately. No need for you to come along, Commander.
3: And she immediately made an impression. She kicked ass and she chewed bubblegum, much like the Adar, Uh, And she had no bubblegum. Uh, she took lots of names. She had no patience. For the Federation and their crap. She knew like how things needed to go. It took her a while to get with the program, but in a great way, not in the way that like, you know, you're kind of just annoyed at her because she's a, a problem, uh, because she's an obstacle to problems being solved. No, she's actually an asset, but she just has a different point of view. She becomes an antagonist in, a, in the most positive possible way, but she has real depth and real humanity. And the genius of Deep Space Nine and the writing on that show was that it gave her opportunity after opportunity to show that to us. One of my very favorite episodes is an episode we talk about, I think, very little, um, but it's called Progress. And in Progress, she's got a very simple mission. She just has to convince a farmer to move off of his land as part of an arrangement that they've made uh, for the rebuilding of Bajor. And it's it seems like it's just this very small, um, like very small stakes, right? That it's like just this farmer has to move off of his land. But as she gets to know him, um, as you know, they begin to bond, um, she realizes that there is just no way that she's going to convince this guy that he's got to go. So at the end of the episode, I mean, she burns down his farm, right? This is the kind of thing that, that Major Kira would do. Um, she, in the episode Duet, right? She is the one who has to confront uh, Harris Hewlett, right? She is the one who is ready to just execute him. But when she realizes who he really is and what his story really is, right? She is the person you know, who wants to grant him mercy, um, you know her her opinion of other characters like Gul Dukat can evolve, or Damar can evolve. But at the same time, even when she begins to accept that these characters are good, still hold them to account. Uh, you know, with Damar and tacking into the wind, Damar has had his his uh, his his you know uh, his uh, road to Damascus moment, and he's converted. Right. He knows. Right. He's like he's on our side now. And there's a moment where uh, Damar is expressing horror at what the Dominion is capable of. What kind of people would kill children in their homes? And Kira just looks at him and says, yeah, Damar, what kind of people would do that? And you're just, oh, my God, she went there. She said it. But that's who Kira Nerys was. She goes there. She says it. She does it. She is 100% reliable. Um, she is courageous as hell. She is tough as hell. Um, she is cunning. She is, in many ways, the Kirk of Deep Space Nine. Sure. Uh, and one time, of my very favorite characters of
1: all time. Long-time long listeners of this podcast will know that Rob Meyer Burnett used to be uh, Next Door Neighbors with Michelle Forbes. And so uh, <laughs> I want to ask Rob... Um, uh, other than you telling her how great she is in the movie California, uh, did you ever discuss, did she ever have any regrets about not uh, playing uh, Roe in Deep Space Nine on turning down the opportunity to be in Deep Space Nine? Or was she at peace with that? Because, of course, the famous story is she decided to pursue a movie career rather than, uh, a, you know, seven years of Star Trek.
2: I think she did. I mean, there was one time when I lived I lived above David and Kim Starzik, who, who knew her. You know, they were friends and she was over once. And, I, you know, since we were all hanging out and she didn't know what a major Star Trek nerd I am, I did ask her that very question. And, and you know, she was kind of circums- circumspect about it. She just, you know, she didn't know. She didn't really understand. I think she was only in nine episodes of Next Generation. And like you said, she, I think she regrets it now. But. I think at the time, you know, she was a fairly she was fairly new to the scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, I unfortunately because what people don't understand is even though next generation is looked back on fondly, it was still first run dramatic syndication. Even though Star Trek went out on a it high. It wasn't note a seven. sexy
1: show to be on. I don't mean sexy in term goodly, but like if you were an, a working actor and you wanted attention in the business and you wanted a stepping stone, Star Trek wasn't it.
2: No, it wasn't it. And and they didn't even know, you know, first run syndication was a was a new thing. And everything other than Star Trek, you know, it was Mission Impossible, it was War of the Worlds. These were kind of bargain basement shows that were done for a price. And I, I that's what I think it was it was and and look, you know, when she was in California with David Duchovny and Brad Pitt. And uh, was it Juliet Lewis? Who's that? Who, who's the? Yeah, Julia Lewis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, was that, that was and and I think Dominic Senna directed that movie. Yep. I mean, that was a big deal, and for her to get that and and I can understand that. And she look. I think Michelle Forbes has always been great. I love her. I mean, even when she's in something like Escape from L.A., which isn't that great, she's giving it her all. And of course, well, she's Admiral amazing Cain. in Swimming with Sharks. Oh, she's she's a terrific actress, and yeah. and I I really really liked meeting her. I've only met her a couple of times, more more than that, but, but she, she was, she's great. And, you know, wouldn't it be nice to see her again?
1: (laughs) And how great was she in um, Galactica, of course, too? She was so great. I mean,
2: I, you know, and she did things like she, um, she was in a pilot that didn't pick get picked up based on a comic book called Global Frequency mm-hmm. that I was really interested in seeing that she was in. Um, I'll watch anything that she's done. She's done a lot of. I mean, her feature career didn't really pan out as a leading lady, but she continues to show up on all kinds of of TV. She's she never became a working.
1: character actor and then yep. started working constantly in television, right. yeah. which is which is which is true. But it, it's interesting because you know we're cheating a little bit because Kira really is a. Bit of a different character than Ensign roe right? Mm-hmm. And in a way, you could say it's the same thing when we did uh, Tom Paris and Lucarno, because Lucarno right. was somebody who had done something terribly. Lucarno mal- was the unformed for,
0: version of Paris,
1: and and, and looking for redemption. And in a way, roe was somebody who also did something bad and was looking for redemption. Kira was not looking for redemption; no. she was looking for revenge. For revenge. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. And she I
3: really, was, oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that you know the thing that I think really separated the two is to a certain extent, I don't want to say that Ro is posing because she's not, right? She's Starfleet, but she is still Starfleet. And I, I think there is a degree of um, of guilt that drives a lot of what Ro does. There is no guilt in Major Kira. There was just anger right. in Major Kira because she was in the shit, right? And now she's in different shit. And I think that was like, it's what makes both of those characters so wonderful. I mean, you know, Nick Licarno shows up once. He was a cool character. Tom Paris is you know, a regular on Voyager who is, for whatever reason, slightly less interesting. Um, but they're basically the same guy with with different names. You know, when we yeah. did the whole Troy and Ilya thing, there's so many things that kind of still kind of make them feel like they occupy the same space. But unless we told you that Kira Norris only existed because Ro Laren existed, and because right. a certain thing couldn't happen with the show, you wouldn't believe us. Yeah, You would now, think that, oh, no, no, they were formed differently.
0: I wonder if they would have changed the essential qualities of Ro Laren to be more like Kira Nairiz if she had been the character.
2: Mm-hmm. You know? Maybe. I mean, I want to point out, it was only, actually, she was only in six episodes. It was Q that was in nine, but she was in six episodes. Right. And I have to say that, One of one of my favorite TNG episodes that nobody talks about. It was the penultimate episode Mm -hmm. of the series, if you include all good things as one episode. But she was in preemptive strike. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it was that episode was directed by Patrick Stewart, and it's all about um and Renee and Noreen worked on that script, and it was all about her essentially betraying Picard's mentorship and betraying Picard. Right, and it was—it's a great episode of the Next Generation, and it really shows. I really enjoyed the the Picard roe Laren relationship, and I wish it could have gone on because. Well,
1: I I, I, I totally agree with you. She's great, in Ensign Roe, which introduces her, yep. and she's great in that episode. Then it's funny because she elevates a couple of really goofy episodes, yeah, because she's in Rascals and she's in the Next Phase, which which are both really ridiculous premises, right. premises, but. Because she's in it, her character's in it, she makes it a lot better than it had any right to be. Rascals yeah. is way better than it has any right to be. Right, but and she's the only sort phase, of in
0: the, in the beginning and end.
1: Well, but still. And and right. the girl who played the young ensign row was great, too. Yeah, she was. And, and then um, she's great in the next phase where her and Jordy, everyone thinks they're dead. But right. really they're, you know, anti-matter, phasing, beezing, Who the did. hell knows. Walking around on the Enterprise, and you know there's
2: a Romulan there, and and that's a great one too, as dumb as it is. No, and and she's just she's a fantastic actress, and um, yeah, you know I wish we saw more of her. You know I really would love to have seen Kira and Ro together. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that would be interesting. Just in the Dominion we why didn't they give her a good two-parter or something? I don't know. Yeah, in an episode, Darren. Right. I'm just
1: you know I, I'm reading Rob's mind. By no, the way, yeah. it should
3: be pointed out that, uh, that Nana Visitor, who is a fantastic actor, um, who played Major
2: Kira, was on Inglourious Drexperts. Indeed.
1: It was
3: a
2: great
1: she was a wonderful guest.
2: Absolutely. She, was She's great also great, show. though. I, I don't mean to at all take away from her because I love Kira Norris. I love yeah. her.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was a shame that she got pregnant because that whole arc was ridiculous, but they had no choice. Yeah. Right. You know, as it often is on any show where lead, one of the lead actresses gets pregnant, and they have to hide it. You right. know, and and the whole idea that she was a, a surrogate for the O'Briens, but you know, um, but it didn't. I mean, she is so good at, at six and seven. Um, uh, but it, it, but just overall, from 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 the very beginning to the very end, she she she's great. She's she's strong and, and she's everything. You know, people have criticized some of the other characters that are lower on our list. There's a reason that Kira, as a powerful, strong, and yet very feminine woman, is above other characters that people may have had quibbles with being lower on the list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. That brings us to number 13. We're getting, we're really getting into, into lucky it now. Number 13. Number 13. And
0: Darren, uh, we're back in the original series orbit. Indeed. This character. Gives us a glimpse at uh, ostensibly what might have uh, happened to Captain Kirk if the worst possible thing that can happen to a captain happened. Um, We get a glimpse at Commodore Matt Decker. What happened to your crew? Oh, I I had to beam them down. Oh, we we were dead. No power, phasers, useless. I stayed behind. Last man, captain, last man aboard the ship. That's what you're supposed to do, isn't it?
2: Uh,
0: And then it hit again, and the the transporter went out. There they were, down there, and I'm I'm up here. What hit? What attacked you? They say there's no devil, Jim. But there is a right out of hell. I saw it. Matt, where's your crew? On the third planet. There is no third planet. Don't you think I know that? There was, but not anymore. They
2: called me, they begged me for help. Four hundred of them. I couldn't. I
1: Captain,
0: Washburn has already... Uh, Who uh, was senior to Kirk and uh, obviously has been a a captain before. Now he's a Commodore. And I don't know exactly what the difference between Commodore and Fleet Captain is. Because we know that uh, Pike is a Fleet Captain when he's uh, uh, damaged by the uh, Delta rays. Uh, but Matt Decker faces the horrific scenario that can happen to a captain. His entire crew is dead because of a decision that he made um, and uh, his choice to stay on the ship as the last man aboard. Uh, of course, uh, I'm talking about the episode The Doomsday Machine from the second season. Uh perhaps one of the uh, greatest adventure stories in uh, original series trek um and uh it's uh, also a, a riff on uh, on moby dick uh and that uh commodore decker is has been made insane by these happenings and uh he beams his uh, entire crew down to a planet's surface ostensibly for safety um and uh they are eradicated by the planet killer. And, uh, you know, he. we have that uh, famous scene of him breaking down in front of uh, Kirk and uh, and McCoy. Uh, there was, but not anymore. Yeah, it, the, you know, they, they called me, 400 of them. They begged me to help. I couldn't. He had no power for the transporters. He couldn't do anything. He was uh, uh, basically... Uh, Impotent to help them, and the breakdown that uh, Decker goes through in that just one scene is so amazing. I mean, you talk about Shatner chewing scenery. Um, William Wyndham, who played Decker, was absolutely amazing, and it's not—it's not campy. It's not—it's not, uh, it's not uh, over the top. It's just enough and of course the reactions from Shatner in that scene are equally good because Shatner sees oh my god this this would be me you know and uh what an amazing character to see the uh, the worst that could happen and uh how the best of them uh can react and uh his uh his final solution to his uh, character arc is uh uh, a little bit crazy, but it is not without, uh, merit and, uh, bravery and, uh, you know, shoving that shuttle down the, uh, planet killer's throat was, uh, a, a valid decision, but he just didn't have enough power. Um, but I love the doomsday machine. I love Matt Decker and, uh, yes, it, according to Roddenberry, it is canon that Will Decker from the motion picture was his son, um, I don't know if that actually makes any difference at all. Uh, But, uh, man. Apparently not, because he's not on the list. Well, that's true. But But he was a captain of a starship. How is that possible? Yeah, well, it never left port. Oh, yeah. Uh, But, you know, the the great thing about original Star Trek, at least, was that their roster of uh, guest stars was amazing. And, you know, originally... Uh, the, uh, the role of, uh, Matt Decker was going to go to Robert Ryan, who was mm-hmm. a, uh, who was a, you know, a movie star. He was, uh, uh, John the Baptist and King of Kings alongside Jeffrey Hunter. And, uh, it, uh, it would have been interesting to see his take on it. Uh, for some reason, uh, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't cast him. Uh, but. They couldn't. Uh, they couldn't. They couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, oh, man. Oh, but, uh, I'd like to see that alternate
2: universe version of uh, with Robert would, Ryan as Matt Decker. It would
0: be fascinating.
2: God. I mean, well, I'm such a huge Robert Ryan fan. What I think about the, that episode and his performance is uh, we've never seen... I mean, we've seen Starship Captains go crazy. We've seen... But we've never seen a man broken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and he... Somewhere in his performance, he still made him sympathetic. I, totally. You know? And at the end of that episode when Kirk is saying you know we're stronger with you than without you you know they 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 realize that he's not a bad person um i mean he's a commodore he's a starship captain yeah. and he's somebody that made a uh, he represents decisions. the best of starfleet the best he of just starfleet broken and, desperate. and yeah. he came up against something that no one had come up against before and uh but you know sometimes there is no turning back and it I really love, uh, again, something that Star Trek did that it never gets really the credit for. At the end, when Spock says he's gone, you know, you really feel the loss in an hour-long sci-fi action-adventure show. Well, and Saul Kaplan helps there, too. Yes, no, absolutely. It all came together. uh, 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 Yeah, one of the great scores ever written for an episodic piece of, of television. But still, that episode... It, it it is why Star trek has endured for fifty seven years
1: yeah oh uh, god absolutely and you you talk about him being a broken man how you know the the whole faint when he's sitting in the captain's chair yeah and, and it was Spock he's he's finished and he 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 has this He's projecting all this confidence, but it's all gone. Yeah. Right. He, he, he's, he's an empty vessel at that and he's, point.
0: He's doing the cane mutiny thing with the uh, with the data tapes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. He's, he's totally doing that. And uh Yeoman strawberries, please. That's right. Yeah, but it, Yeoman Look, strawberries that, isn't on duty tonight, sir. <laughs> <laughs> She's but uh off duty. What, 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 what a, what a that that face off between him and Spock on the bridge is another great freaking scene. Mm-hmm. Because they are, you know, two powerful uh, forces uh, colliding with each other, and uh, you know, Decker blinks, yeah. and uh, it's it's brilliant, and it's another, you know, it's basically a
1: bottle show. I mean, everything on yeah. the constellation is just redresses, and it's like. So you don't have to go, you don't go to planet, you don't, there's no space, you know, well, there is a space battle, but it's like, yeah, yeah, big space battle, but it's like, how exciting is that? And they, you know, no aliens, it just, it's just, it's brilliant. And he is so great. And I have to say, in a lot of these cases, some of these actors we pointed out, these character actors, have been great in other things as well. Absolutely. Uh, 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 But uh, William Wyndham was in a lot of great things. He's a lot of great performances. He's never better than he was as as Will Decker.
0: I, I kind of agree.
1: Okay, and speaking of the original series, we're not done with it yet. At number 12, it's the creation from the pen of the late, great Harlan Ellison, Sister Edith Keeler. That
3: toolbox was locked with a combination lock, and you opened it like a real pro. Why did
0: you do it? I needed the fine tools for my radio work. They'd have been returned in the morning. Oh,
3: I'm sorry.
0: If, if Mr. Spark says that he needs the tools and that they'd be returned tomorrow morning, you can bet your reputation on that, Miss Keeler. On one
3: condition
1: walk me home. I still have a few questions I'd like to ask about you too. Oh,
3: and don't give me that questions about little old us look. You know as well as I do how out of place you two are around here.
0: Interesting. Where would you estimate we belong, Miss Keeler?
3: You. At his side, as if you've always been there and always will. And you. You belong in another place I don't know where or
0: how I'll figure it out eventually
3: I'm finished with the furnace
1: Captain even when he
3: doesn't
2: say it he does
1: It's the role uh, uh, immortalized by Joan Collins in the classic original Star Trek episode, The City on the Edge of Forever. And I think one of the reasons uh, she makes the list um, so high is because what a magnificent character. A woman even on the cusp of war who has nothing but hope and optimism for the future. And and, and she is, in a way, even though she's a, a, a creation of Harlan Ellison, she is almost the perfect Roddenberry character. You know, she's a woman who just, even in the darkest depths of the depression, believes that there will be a better future ahead. And uh, the fact is, you know, there's something inside this character that is the one true love of Captain James T. Kirk. And um it's magnificent. And Joan Collins, yeah, and the, the thing about Joan Collins is so interesting, is she's played so many characters that are sort of black widows and kind of, you know, uh the bad sex women. pod and bad, yeah, you know, femme fatales yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. And yet here she is one of the sweetest, most endearing, most idealistic. Um it, it's a, a remarkable performance. And, you know, we've talked about this on the show before, and it is a true Trek tragedy that in generations that mm-hmm. there was not a reunion because of Joan Collins, who was alive and well and kicking. Uh, uh, you know, how despite the rest of it, how great to have, would it have been to have five minutes to have Shatner reunited with, um, oh. Joan Collins, uh, in, in that scene in the Nexus? We would have forgiven a lot of sins.
3: <laughs> yeah, just for five minutes it of It would that.
1: have been so remarkable and you would have believed the, this whole, the one thing that Captain Kirk would have sacrificed the Enterprise yes. for.
0: Because he, he nearly did before. Yeah, it could you have know, been amazing. The thing that is
3: interesting about her, and I, you know, I look, I, I'm always fascinated by kind of taking apart these things psychologically, but um, I, I think that Edith Keeler very much she represents two things i think her appeal to captain kirk i mean aside from the fact that she's just pure good and she is who she is is you know on an allegorical level she represents the the complete idealism the utopianism of star trek right it is the thing that a kirk would a kirk would aspire to right. any captain would aspire to the philosophy that she espouses. That's what this starship is about. I mean, other than risk, right? That's the business, right. but um, but that's the aspiration. But what is so fascinating about that episode and about that character is the reason why she has to die. And Spock really articulates it. I mean, he points it out, right? It's like, well, okay, so if she doesn't die, she hangs out and guess what? Hitler wins. Yeah. Because in the real world, the utopians, the idealists, the optimists, the ones, um, who cannot get their hands dirty. Uh, sometimes bad things happen, right? That yeah. the world needs Kirk's. The world needs people who are willing to do the things that must be done yet who aspire to the great things that people like Edith Keeler articulate. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just it's such a uh, to me that's the the heart of the of the tragedy
0: well it's the greatest irony that that forward uh, bright thinking must be snuffed out for the future to happen the way it should yeah and it's uh, it's incredibly tragic but what a great what a great story
2: but also in a way you know edith keeler it represents for the audience for us the viewers the kind of people we'd want to be in the here and now that you know she's she she talks about someday uh, we're going to be a space-faring race right you know she's aspirational here she is but at the same time she's helping the downtrodden the homeless and she's trying to do good things for the world around her but at the same time she's dreaming of of the future that Star Trek presents us right so in a way she's she's kind of an aspirational human that we, the audience can relate to. And that's why it's doubly tragic when she is taken at yeah. the end of the episode.
1: Yeah. It's a really terrific performance from Joe. Con- My fellow's taking me to a Clark Gable movie. I mean, she just, she's, she's, she's so good in the way Jerry Fennerman shoots her, uh, throughout the episode and the way, you know, McCoy looks at her and, um, uh, just how ha- you believe in, in that 53 minutes that Shatner or Kirk has completely fallen under her spell,
0: yeah.
1: Um, and it's uh, it's 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 really remarkable, and it, it's a big a reason why City in Your Forever is considered by most the greatest Star Trek episode of all time. Okay, now believe it or not, we're back on Deep Space Nine. A lot, you know, it'll be interesting when we break down this list to see. Um, what shows had the most characters on the list? I mean, I think right now, Deep Space Nine may even be, it seems to be dominating. I, I think it might even be ahead of Next Generation and TOS. I don't know when we get to the end, if that'll be the case. It's certainly ahead of some other shows. Um, but, uh, it brings us to Ashley Edward Miller and number 11.
3: Yeah. Number, I mean, first of all, I, I think so far it's kind of DS9 in a walk on, um, what show is contributing the sort of the most great characters on this list. But again, you're talking about a show that made its business a uh, character, right? That was like mm. it's almost its its number one mission yeah, right. was character because that That's was the thing he was interested in exploring. And it was just so incredibly well cast all the time, I think it would be difficult, you know, for it not to at least make a showing on this list. So number 11 is one of the great antagonists in Star Trek history. Um, uh, Played by Mark Alemo, who is just a a marvelous actor, who I think first appears in uh, Star Trek in in the Next Generation uh, season one finale, uh, the Neutral Zone. I don't even know that he speaks. Maybe he does briefly, but he plays a Romulan. He's just kind of on a view screen. Um, He then I think reappears in Next Generation um, ...as a Cardassian. In the Wounded. Yeah, In the wounded. the wounded, yes. But he doesn't play a Uh But he's just so great that they bring him back as Gul'dukat. You can
2: call it anything you like, but you're not going anywhere until we search your ship.
1: In that case,
2: Command. In that case, you will do exactly as you're told. You will allow us free access to your ship so that we can verify you are indeed smuggling Cardassian weapons into the Demilitarized Zone. You will then follow us back to Deep Space Nine... Where your cargo will be confiscated. And you will make a full confession detailing everything
0: you know about smuggling weapons into the demilitarized zone. Then you will sign that confession. After which you and your ship will be allowed on your way. Is that clear? I don't understand. You're a Cardassian. I'm not just any Cardassian. I'm Gul'dakar, commander of the second order. You have 15 seconds to lower your shields or we'll destroy you.
1: No, wait! Ten seconds.
0: No, it's not that simple!
1: Seven seconds.
0: I've already been
1: paid! Four seconds.
0: Stop counting! Stop counting! He's lowering his shields.
3: Gul Dukat, uh, a Cardassian uh, officer who had been in command of Deep Space Nine when it was under Cardassian control. It was built by Cardassians called Terok Nor. Uh, he's a monster but he's an interesting monster. He is a very interesting monster with a point of view. Uh, he is loyal uh, to Cardassia and to his people. Um, he is, he's smart. Uh, he is, he's not, even though he is incredibly loyal and a cunning adversary, he's not an ideologue. You know what I mean? He's not uh, a zealot. Uh, he's not a mustache twirler. You know, if, if he resembles anyone, then he pro- I would think that he most resembles, uh, the Romulan commander from mm. balance of terror because we do get, uh, from Gul Dukat, there those moments of, of doubt. Um, he has an interior life, which is, a, which is a rarity, even for the best of the Star Trek antagonists. Um, he has a child. Uh, there is a, a truly terrific episode called, uh, I think it was indiscretion, which was essentially it was a, it was a takeoff on the searchers. Uh, where uh Ducat goes off and uh, looking for his daughter uh who was taken from him years ago and you believe that he has the intention of uh he, he like he feels like he'll need to 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 take her out when he finds her but but he loves her it's like the you know the and in fact the the love the bond that he has with his child uh later once he has Taking control of DS Nine again and lost it again. Uh, he he loses his daughter in a fairly horrifying way, and it breaks him. Uh, and it sends him down a uh, incredibly dark path. I mean, with some elements of that, I think worked better than others. Um, it it made him a tool of the Uh It kind of made him an anti emissary, which on some level I think worked. Uh, incredibly well. There were some aspects of it that didn't. There was a, there was a, I felt at times um, that uh, it was a bit of the thing that happened in The Sopranos, right? It's like, oh, the, the writers have noticed that we like these horrible people a little too much. <laughs> so they want to remind us that they're horrible. Uh, so Goldukat kills Judzia Adax. I mean, I understand why that decision was made on a whole host of levels, um, but it was definitely, I think, one of those things. Um, that was was more difficult to swallow. But at the end of the day, Golducott was a character you could not take your eyes off of. And woe unto you if you were stupid enough to take your eyes off of him. Uh, because he 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 never lost his edge. He never became a caricature. Uh, you know, he, even in the the weaker moments, the weaker episodes, it doesn't matter because Mark Alamo brought such power. To that performance, this sort of this Shakespearean scope, you know, without being over the top. That was just, it was just, he was awesome. He was great to watch, um, fun, uh, and you always
2: knew that you were in for something interesting when he appeared. How do you feel about, you know, his possession by the Paw Wraiths? Hated it.
1: I yeah, hate. Yeah. I think he would be higher on this list if not for the complete botch of seventh season.
2: Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I really, I mean, look. Obviously, from the get go, you had the wormhole aliens, the prophets. That made sense, but the paw wraiths and the the him being literally a possessed villain seemed beneath the rest right. of Deep Space if, Nine.
3: If the, if they had played that as you know, in the sense that, look, Cisco is not possessed by the prophets. He doesn't right. even really want that job. Right. But he still is who he is. If they had found a way to put Ducat in that position, right, with the with the other side, um, you know, if they had let him do what he does best, which is, I think, uh, you know, forge unholy alliances and like the most unholy alliance imaginable, suddenly it becomes interesting.
2: Right? Yeah, I mean, a breakaway faction of the non-corporeal prophets would have been really interesting, like if they had a philosophical difference, but to literally, you know, to go literally into... Literally possess the, him. Yeah, and they go into this whole, like, dark horror realm, which I always thought, that, that was always... I think that was DS9's one great misstep in the latter seasons.
1: Absolutely, yep. And it was and, the same thing Galactica did when they made Baltar like a cult leader. It, right. it was just a big, <laughs> a big misstep. and it i I wonder though, if it was because you know Marco Lemo was tired of putting on the makeup because you have a season where he's a Bajoran and he's out of makeup and he's having this tort affair with kai Wynn. and it just mi- miss uh, you know everything about it is misguided
2: right and it, I mean it, I, it, 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 that horrified it, me more than the pare thing, frankly well, I mean it's it's it it was so i mean by the way, Marco Lemo sells it. Yeah, you know he, he he his acting i mean he's he never oh, he's sensational. was sensational he's sensational he never ever gave it anything other than his all 100% i just felt that the character especially when he when he does his when he breaks bad again you know he's in the klingon bird of prey and and he he, he turns into you think he's a good guy and then he's not anymore and i i loved that and yep and they already showed he could do it and it would have been really interesting to have seen Gul Dukat come back after the end of the war and been the one that had to preside over a broken Cardassia. Mm-hmm. And that was his, I mean, it was, it just seemed like, I mean, I get it, but that's, that's, I guess, the metaphysics of it all was, I always i always liked the way that the non-corporeal, non-linear prophets were portrayed. And it would have been interesting if the parades were just people that didn't agree with them. You know, that they yeah. were, that they were, they They're were a those... breakaway faction. And yeah. that
3: somehow that became a thing. Yeah. Now we would be, I think, remiss not to take this as an opportunity to talk about um, a character who began as Golden talk to, uh, Damar. Damar, yeah. Uh, played by Casey Biggs. Yet another guy who acts his way onto the show just by being awesome. Yep. I mean, his job was essentially just to say hailing frequencies open more yeah. or less. But instead, he becomes uh, this incredibly uh, deep, rich character who also has an interior life, who also uh, goes through a change. He is the man who who frankly, spoiler alert, murders Ducat's daughter you know, it, it, and, and sets into motion yeah. uh, the breaking of, of Gal Ducat. But Damar also has a, an epiphany. Right. He has a moment of conversion, um, where he realizes that the dominion is awful, that they are on the wrong side, that Cardassia has become slaves, right? That all of this has gone so terribly wrong. And Casey Biggs, as DeMar, gives one of the great speeches, I think, in the history of Star Trek. Um, The resist speech, resist today, resist tomorrow, resist until the last Dominion soldier is driven from our streets. And you're just watching him on this view screen with the, the crew of Deep Space Nine, and you're taking in what's happening. And as the audience, we're having the same reaction. Like, we we can't believe it, but at the same time, it's incredibly exciting. It changes the game completely. And Damar, like Dukat... Like found a way to surprise us in a great way, but also keep us on our toes. And I think just generally, like, when the Cardassians and the Bajorans, because you know we were just talking about the Bajorans with uh, Ensign Rowe and Major Kira, those those alien races they were so well defined, so well dramatized. They had just uh, it, they really benefited from the fact that Deep Space Nine wanted to sit in one place. And explore these societies and these cultures because they both gave us these great characters for the Cardassians. It's Ducat, Dumar, uh, Garrick, right? uh, and right? It's just, not to mention like, you know, Maritza, you know, it's just uh, all of these amazing characters that came out of Cardassia and came out of this show because what I think that the writers of deep space nine did so well when creating their characters generally. And this is why I think they've, they've really dominated this list is they've found the contradictions inherent in all of these people and in all of their cultures. What is good about them? What is bad about them? What is what good? In the life caught to the <laughs> enemies to the- crush them. You didn't see the, hear the limitation of their women. You know, it's like to hear the limitation of their but
1: starship If captains. If this was two weeks from now, and we were doing the holiday special rebuttal. I would say your biggest mistake—not you, the collective, <laughs> we, the collective we—the the the biggest omission, the biggest was not having Demar on the list. Yeah, of all the characters that I feel that we may have missed, Demar is probably the one. And I'm, I'm not giving anything away because we were about to go into the top ten, and I could, you know, Demar is clearly not in the top ten. Um, but he deserved a spot. But he deserved a spot on this list. So shame on you, shame on us. Double shame dumbass on, on you. <laughs> yeah, great, great, great character, Goldicott, phenomenal. Almost made the top ten. Almost not been for the pot thing. But we're about, we're about, we are about, about to go where we have not gone before. We're about to begin the top ten. Wow! Oh snap! Are we ready, or should we're we ready. wait to the no. next episode? <laughs> no, okay, no, no, no. no. You're going okay. to do like a ten part. Okay. Like 11. No, no, no. Okay. So Darren, kick off the top 10 with uh, the first of our uh, 10 greatest Star Trek characters of all time.
0: Well, counting down, this is number 10. Um, perhaps uh, one of the greatest architects of uh, Star Trek, specifically the original series, was Dorothy Fontana. And She not only wrote some uh, great uh, episodes, but she came up with some amazing characters as well. And one of them were Spock's parents, and uh, specifically, uh, Ambassador Sarek of Vulcan. I'm returning to Vulcan within the hour. I would like to take my leave of you. It was most kind of you to make this effort. It was no effort. You are my son. Besides, I'm most impressed with your performance in this crisis. Most kind. As I recall, I opposed your enlistment in Starfleet. It is possible that judgment was incorrect. Your associates are people of good character. They are my friends. Yes, of course. Do you have a message for your mother? Yes. Tell her I feel fine. Live long and prosper, father. Live long and prosper, my son. Uh, who... Uh... When he shows up on the Enterprise, he is a hard ass. Uh, he, uh, he is no joking. He's all business. And you can tell what hell Spock was put through as a kid. Um, he is absolutely 100% Vulcan. And uh, played by the amazing Mark Leonard, who we met as the Romulan commander uh just a few episodes earlier um Sarek of Vulcan is uh perhaps the most powerful Vulcan we ever meet including the great T'Pau um because uh Sarek basically told Spock no when he wanted to join Starfleet uh and you know how how badass is that uh, and you know, the great thing about Sarek is that even though he's uh, very unyielding as a character and he is uh, very stringent in his opinions, um, they do evolve as we uh, as we keep meeting him throughout the years. And uh, the great thing about Mark Leonard is that, he, uh, is one of these actors who could completely do the Vulcan, uh, portrayal of, uh, stoic outside, but emotions inside. And, uh, as we talked about before, that is a very tricky thing to do. Uh, Nimoy, of course, mastered it, but so did Mark Leonard. And, uh, man, the portrayal of Sarek, uh, as, uh, basically, uh, making, uh, uh, putting down Spock left and right in the first half of this episode is so amazing. And, uh, the only, the only actor with presence enough who can do that in my opinion, uh, was Mark Leonard. Um, and it, it gives a great, uh, sort of, uh, uh, bar relief compared to, uh, Jane Wyatt as, uh, Amanda, uh, his Spock's mother, um, that uh, these are the two halves of the coin that, that uh, uh, created Spock. And it's truly a great uh, sort of uh, origin story in two people uh, to find out more about this character of Spock that we have loved for, you know, basically a season and a half already. Um, I love, love, love Sarek, and I love seeing him again uh you know in uh search for spock and uh and uh, the voyage home and of course in uh uh the next generation with an amazing episode where he is going through uh basically alzheimers and uh it is really heart wrenching and uh and it's a great thing that the uh, picard gets to uh, meld with him and share some of this power that uh, we experienced watching him all these years. So Sarek is truly an amazing character. And of course, he is worthy of being Spock's father. Absolutely.
2: Another thing about about Sarek too, I, I think if, why I became a Star Trek fan when I was younger is there was this continuity. I mean, obviously we only saw Sarek once in the original series, but mm-hmm. when they turned around and and when he seeing Star Trek 3 Search for Spock, when he shows up at Kirk's, literally his door, you know, his apartment door, and comes in and they mind meld, and his performance, Mark Leonard's performance as Sarek, forgive me, it is not here. Yeah. You know, then everything he he was, you know, is gone. I mean, the gravitas, again, uh, an actor that was cast first as a Romulan in the very first season of Star Trek, comes back the second season, plays Sarek, The continuity that that provided for, you know, for us Star Trek fans, this kind of continuity was something that that should never be trifled with, really. And it it should never be downplayed because that continuity, the mythology of Star Trek, it had one of the uh, how many shows transition first to the big screen. But the fact that they brought people back from the 60s TV show. Yeah. Yeah, to come back again and play those roles was vital to, I think, the success and ongoing, in enduring popularity and the of Star creation
0: Trek. of this universe.
2: Yes, and, and they and, were great.
3: As much poo yeah. as we throw at Star Trek Three, right? That is a that is an amazing
2: scene. Yeah, an amazing scene, and it's a great piece of music from James Horner. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything about that, you know, is terrific.
1: Well, his presence, as you said make Star Trek a cohesive whole. So as Darren talks about him being in Next Generation, planting his flag in Next Generation, it just ties it all together.
2: Yeah, right. And and they waited till the third season to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, other than McCoy, DeForest Kelly being on Encounter at Farpoint, they really shied away. They wanted to have their own identity and they could have, you know, had cameos and sometimes they make, I remember you'd hear the name Kirk, <gasps> right, you know, and they'd say one word, but by bringing Sarek back, that was the first character Spock. that you remember saw. Remember when was... he said during the mind meld, he says, Spock, you got chills.
1: That was the only time, you know, first time yeah. they said Spock, you know, uh, on the show. And it was just like
2: this unbelievable yeah. thing. And and Ira Bear will tell the story about how he argued with Rick Berman. Yeah, they didn't want to say it. They didn't want to say it. And he got, Berman said, okay, you can say it once. Yeah. But that was never you know
3: The fact that it was once, I think made it more powerful. Yes. Yeah. Um uh, to me, what encapsulates Sarek is you know, one line and I think it was Star Trek IV. Uh, My Logic Fails Me, or my son, or my is, son concern. is concerned. Yes. And it just that just hits me like straight in the feels. Because it's actually know, my logic is uncertain. Thank but. you. To go on, yes, <laughs> but yes, it's like that. That moment just feels so real, and you don't have to have a kid of your own to understand what that means, right? Yeah. It's like you understand the bond between a father and a child, and it humanizes the Vulcans, and it humanizes Sarek. And it just, it puts everything- I find it just, that it just, in some really vital time. context.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and none of that would have mattered if he hadn't given this extraordinary performance in Journey to Babel, yeah. where he made himself part of the Star Trek family. You believed he was Leonard Spock's father. You believed um, that in this relationship. You believed he was married to Jane Wyatt's Amanda. Um, and you, you believed he was dying. And I mean- that. And the, you all believe
0: he's capable of killing someone with the to touch. Tell right. yeah,
1: yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that whole, that whole sequence is, 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 is so great. And you think maybe, you know, maybe he did kill the teller, right? Yeah, and right. then all the stuff at the end uh, where, you know, there's that little tag with them joking around, uh, uh, you know, so this probably, why did you marry her? It was seemed the logical thing to do. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just, oh my God. And it's such great writing from Dorothy, but, you know, again, uh, Mark Leonard really, um, it creates this character uh, and and does something marvelous. And the fact that it was a character that was with us for decades, but only in very few, very few moments. And yet looms so large in the mythology and on our list at number 10.
0: And yes, we know he appeared in the Abrams movies and, and in, uh, and in the, uh, in discovery, we know.
3: Uh, By the way, played by in uh,
0: 2009, uh,
3: Ben Cross, who is a terrific actor.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's funny. I talked to Ben Cross about a lot of things. We never talked about the JJ movies, and uh, he is—he's a terrific actor. And it was uh, really sad when he died. And um, uh, you know, but he was fine in the JJ movies. As, but, but again, it, we talked about these it. very—you, you, you know—not only do the actors have to get it, the directors and the writers have to understand how to tailor these performances to these characters. And most of them don't understand this franchise enough to really get them where they need to go. No. Anyway. Okay, so that was number 10. Now, in what may be a stunning surprise to many people, Robert Meyer Burnett is going to tell us number nine on our countdown.
2: Well, this next character, this This next character started out probably as one of the most unlikely people that you would expect to not only be in a Star Trek show, but to be the star of a Star Trek show. And yet, over the course of this character's life, came to embody everything I think that Star Trek is, was, and ever shall be. And that is, of course, the great Patrick Stewart and his portrayal of Jean-Luc Picard. It is over. Admiral Henry has called an end to any more hearings on this matter. That's good. Admiral Sati has left the Enterprise.
0: We think we've come so far. Torture of heretics, burning of witches in all ancient history. Then... Before you can blink an eye, suddenly it threatens to start all over again.
2: I believed her. I I helped her. I did not see what she was.
0: Mr. Worf, villains who twirl their moustaches are easy to spot. Those who clothe themselves in good deeds are well camouflaged.
2: I think after yesterday, people will not be so ready to trust her. Maybe.
0: But she or someone like her will always be with us, waiting for the right climate in which to flourish. Spreading fear in the name of righteousness. Vigilance, Mr. Wolf. That is the price we have to continually pay.
2: Um, obviously, he he was an unlikely choice even for the studio when they were first casting this role, and he was not the swashbuckling man of action that James T. Kirk was. He was a very different kind of a man, and yet, and yet, he might be the the quintessential embodiment of where we hope humanity goes in the future, and. If it wasn't for Patrick Stewart, I don't know if Star Trek The Next Generation would have gone beyond its first or second season. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't. And he brought, obviously, he he went to the Royal Shakespeare uh, Academy. R well, R C R.C. Royal Shakespeare Company. <laughs> <the> <laughs> it's Academy not like Starfleet, dude. It's just a <laughs> but, but the interesting thing about, about Picard is He was both a stern, believable commander, more more along the lines of a British naval captain or a French naval captain, and yet he was a learned man. He was a fair man. He was a compassionate man. He was a man that loved Shakespeare, but also loved the law. And we saw many different facets of the character of Picard, and I think his delivery elevated every line that he was given, and you know Patrick Stewart had to fight his own. He didn't even think the show was going to last. His agents told him that, "Hey, we will do thirteen episodes. Come to America." You know, this isn't going to happen. This Don't isn't going to last. Don't unpack your right? suitcase. Yeah, you can't. You can't recreate a legend. And the very thing was is that little did he know that it was he himself who through his portrayal of this starship Ooh, captain, the
1: architect of its success, you know? the,
2: was the yes, the architect of the success. In the, in the great irony, but one of the great things about. Picard is, he had some of the greatest moments, I, I think about moments like in The Drumhead, where where the great Gene Simmons as Nora Sati is going up against him and suddenly turns the tables and is accusing him of basically treason. And, and the way that, that Patrick Stewart plays that role, oh, this is how it begins, you know, and his delivery of these things, or or when he goes up and uh, with with Worf, he tells Worf, you know, he, he is his chadich, you know, and goes down and sins of the father. And suddenly, Picard does not shy away; like he's not so much one for fisticuffs. But if he's going to go up against an alien government, and and if he's going to make sure that that uh, when he says in redemption, you know, this is a lie, this cannot stand. You know, there are moments where where he embodies everything you want a Star Trek character to be. And yet, he's very different than William Shatner. But in the same sense, he became a person that we all wanted to be. As much as I wanted to be Captain Kirk as a young man, I wanted to grow into being Jean-Luc Picard. And I thought that was a very... Not that I don't always want to be Kirk, even growing into Kirk, but but Picard showed us... It was a different time for Star Trek, and it showed us not a kinder, gentler Star Trek but a more uh, maybe introspective and um uh, I don't know what you'd call it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, philosophical, and, but also you still take action, but you consider the possibilities and the ramifications of it. And I'll tell you, one of the great, mo- I mean, it's no surprise, but when he was taken by the Borg and there was the possibility we weren't getting him back that was truly one of the great things about the best of both worlds. Is there was a possibility we weren't, and it was truly shocking that they took a character like that and violated him the way that they did. And it has ramifications, you know, even to this day. And I, I what, what a, what a great character, what a great choice of an actor out of left field, you know, Gene Roddenberry wasn't even the actor he wanted the most, right? And no, um,
3: great
1: Stephen Mott. It's they had booked. Patrick audition in a wig at first because uh, the, 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 there's no way that they would accept a bald captain. Thank God that they did. And of course, you know, look, like, he's not only great in great episodes like uh, "Who Watches the Watchers" and all good things. These are magnificent performances in yesterday's Enterprise. But the great thing that he did was he elevated even the mediocre episodes.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, he like would Encounter take- at Farpoint.
1: Well, like Encounter at Farpoint, like a lot of the episodes we've talked about early on. Starfleet just seen fit to give me a ship of children aboard. Where, where he he just was able to take, you know, a really mediocre script and 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 make it better through his own, you know, uh, 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 amazing ability. Um, and he's well, taking everything very seriously.
0: One you of, know, one of my like, favorite lines uh, of his is, uh, "Starship captain is supposed to have an air of warmth and geniality." You ought to see that's what I project. <laughs> mm-hmm. Completely. And like Picard has moments like that, I you mean, know,
3: all the way through every episode. And there's, there's, you can rely on him to give you a moment that isn't just, you know, re- reflecting sort of this this inner sort of strength and stoicism. An inner light, maybe? and sort of in the inner life. Right? <laughs> uh, but and not just this kind of intellectual uh, detachment, but also very deep emotion and empathy right yep. like yep. um you know, in the survivor right it's yeah. like the whole like speech that he gives to kevin oxbridge it's just it's it's astonishing um or in the wounded right yep. you, you know mm. it's like i think when somebody has been angry for a long time it becomes comfortable like old leather and soon you can't remember feeling any other way and you just he says these things almost because you know this is what the the great Shakespearean actors do is he is tossing off these lines, so to speak, right? Well, but they're but they are landing with such impact
1: yeah. because he's living inside of them, right? Yeah, like, and you see that in tapestry. You see it in a lot of these uh, episodes where it's so you know powerful, and,
3: telling the story of Gilgamesh in uh, in Dharma, right? He's right, right. just
2: awesome. That is an awesome scene. He can and just I,
3: command the screen.
2: There was also, I really think, another big tng missed opportunity was the fact that the character of wesley crusher was always underserved and yet episodes like the first duty yeah. um the relationship they could have developed between picard and wesley whenever they were on screen together like in the first duty is a, a an incredible episode yep and the the moments picard has with wesley crusher were great and they really never knew what to do with Wesley. No, Rob, but- the
1: irony is they didn't mind that relationship until he left. It was in final mission, the yep. f- his farewell episode. And then in First Duty, once he left, that's when they finally got how to write the relationship. And
2: by then it was too late. That's it why Wesley's is not on our list. You know, and 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 I think that's that was uh, it was too bad because that could have been instead of keeping him the the kid that saves the ship all the time. You know, if they turned it into a mentor relationship and Picard overcame his distaste right. of of children, children and things like that it, right. through it, could have been it could have been great. It, it you know, I think
3: great. you know that that uh, the only reason we've sort of talked about goldicott right? And the reason why he didn't rank higher. And I think let's be let's be honest. I think part of the reason why. Picard didn't rank higher on this list is because I think some of his later outings, um, kind of, uh, I don't know that they undid the character as we remember him in the next generation and some of the movies, but I think undermined the character in in very key important ways, um, and I, I think you know it's it's look I I prefer to imagine. Picard, as he was, I think, as late as uh, First Contact, and in mm-hmm. you know some of the scenes in the other films, but um, but something happened on the way to the forum. I, I think that sort of made him uh, a, a, a less interesting guy. I, I think when you when you make his story the story of trauma, the story of like something out of left field, mm-hmm. right. That just doesn't track with anything we
1: knew about that character going in. No, it, it, it the character. If you know Patrick Stewart's life story, then it makes sense. It's right. the same thing. If if you know William Shatner likes to ride horses and and, and stuff, you understand why Kirk is doing that. In Generations. It's the same thing with Patrick Stewart. Why all of a sudden he decided the story of Patrick Stewart of Cap- of Captain Picard is about exploring trauma? Um, you know the the real great send off, of course, of uh, Picard is all good things now mm-hmm. i i'm excluding picard season three because i we haven't seen it right, right. i'm sure that it's great redeem it I, yeah. I, yeah we're but you know at this point we haven't seen it it's not in the mix so to speak it's not canon but 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 um but the um you know all good things was the perfect bookend for that character and for that show and then you know look first contact as much as we love that movie You know, again, that's an actor wanting to be John McClane. It's the same thing that happened in Starship. Uh, You know, originally he was supposed to be the one on the planet with Cochrane, and Riker was supposed to be the one on the ship, uh, you know, fighting the Borg, which, you know, makes a lot more sense. But, you know, Patrick Stewart, you know, wanted to be the man of action. And again, that's an actor's uh, prerogative. But it's not true necessarily to the character. And you start to see the diminishing of this more cerebral, philosophical, thoughtful character of Picard as the shows go on. And, you know, it it happens in its direction. And by nemesis, it's taken to, you know, absurd
2: uh, uh, lengths. Well, you know, I also think that if they... Obviously, if you read Michael Piller's book on the writing of Insurrection and things like that, it's it's quite interesting. I just think that if Star Trek had... If there was initially a script that leaned more into the story of Picard, uh, you could have had somebody pull something off where we could have been given a, a decent send-off. You know, the, the character could have grown and evolved into something really interesting.
1: Yeah, I still, you know, look, for my money... I think you know the, one of the highlights in the career of Jean Luc Picard is family. That to me is still like, mm-hmm. yeah, the, yep. you know the 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 the, the apex. Uh, and of course, then we continued to see the story of him dealing with the trauma of the Borg abduction many times over, uh, which you know kind of had been, you know, gone through the catharsis in family. Yes, but, um, and I Borg, and I Borg, yeah,
2: yeah. Which I'm not born, a huge born. fan of, but um, but he board. makes it. He makes a decision in that that really was surprising, and, and yeah. it shows that he he is over that trauma. Yeah. So,
1: yep. look, we're huge fans of Captain uh, uh, Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, you know, he's number nine, which is yeah. a, a very high on this list of 101 characters. Um, but I'm sure you know, for a lot of people who who you know uh, thought maybe he was going to be number one. So they may be maybe surprised be number 1 China that would, would be number 1 that would be indeed it never so, get old. what comes after Jean-Luc Picard well number 8 of course and to wrap up part 8 of our countdown we stop with 8 we're, <laughs> we're right we're gonna, we're going to reveal number 8 on our uh, on our countdown and ashley if you'll take us out
3: uh number eight is i believe the only character in star trek history to be a regular on not one but two shows i am speaking of a man who who straddles two worlds uh klingons <laughs> and starfleet uh and uh, he begins as just the guy standing on the bridge with the big head who wants to blow a hole in the view <laughs> screen with his phaser because Q is on it. Uh, and he turns into, um, you know, just one of the most complex, interesting, um, tough, scary, uh, but very human uh, characters in, in Star Trek lore. I'm speaking, of course,
2: of Worf. I am Worf, son of Mog. I have come to challenge the lies that have been spoken of my father. Worf, son of Mog. You
1: challenge the judgment of the council. Are you prepared to answer for
2: this if you fail? Yes! With my life, you claim a birthright you have forsaken. I have not forsaken my heritage. I am Klingon. My heart is of this world. My blood is as yours. Yet, you come to us wearing a child's uniform.
3: And you bring outsiders to our great hall. Oh, Worf. Right. That guy. Right, the guy who is named after a, a, a part a, of San like a, Francisco. Yeah, part of San Francisco. It's a very strange, strange name for Klingon because normally they're named after the sound your flatware makes when it hits the floor, but not in Worf's case. It's just it's Worf. Uh, you know, Worf is um, raised by by humans, which automatically is a you know a check mark uh, against him as far as other Klingons are are concerned. Um he ha- his family has a checkered past because that's the story that the Klingons tell, the lies that they tell about the House of Moog. Um he has a a brother played by the great Tony Todd, uh who we have spoken about before, um, who shows up uh and 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 you know brings uh Kern, he he brings Worf back uh into all of the Klingon politics and that becomes our entree uh into the Klingons as as they have evolved. Um, Worf, Worf is really our, our point of view into that world. Um he falls in love with Deanna Troy for some reason. Uh but then he falls <laughs> in love with Judd Z attacks for all the right reasons in the world. You know, when he showed up on Deep Space Nine and Way of the Warrior, there was a faction of people and I think members of the cast uh yeah. who were unhappy they You're were oh, happy. now Worf's going to come in and take over the show. And the truth is he came in and he was additive to yep. the show in all the best ways. I think in part, by the way, another actor we have had on *Inglorious Trexperts, Michael Dorn. He is just a lovely human being. And he um, loves Star Trek. And he loves Star Trek. Loves it. So, you know, I think all of those, those factors contributed. He had his own lane.
1: He helped to open up the storytelling. Uh, but I you know what? It's funny because on Next Generation, we always say, Oh, Data was the Spock character. But in a way, no. Worf
0: was the Spock yeah. character. Yes. He was
1: the outsider. Yeah. He was the guy who didn't fit in, but came from two worlds. He yeah. uh, was the half
0: breed, more or less.
1: Yeah. And so, in a way, he was, he was Spock. And that's why, the way Spock, more than any other character, has gone from show to show to show, and JJ mined him in the movies, Worf has gone from show to show to show and works wherever you put them i mean i was one of those people on deep space nine who said hey deep space nine doesn't need this guy i love Worf, but you know why? you know don't put chocolate in my peanut butter you know and uh and i was wrong like most people were because Worf, as you said was additive he only he he he, he brought this like this, he gave them the ability to do these huge shakespearean tapestry that became you know deep space nine you know first with the klingons
0: which fourth season was still, but by five fifth season, w- w- amazing. And actually, um, Wharf isn't the only one to be a regular on two series. Also, Miles O'Brien. That's true. Well, yeah.
3: Well, was I was O'Brien in the uh, the main titles? No, no. no. So that's what I'm talking about. But even uh, yes. Warf, no, but you're right, though, that Miles O'Brien was basically a regular <laughs> like on the next generation. Yes. And I think like one of the things that that Worf did when he came to Deep Space Nine and having come with a lot of goodwill People loved Worf. He was one of the most popular characters Absolutely. on the next generation. He was seven to
1: thirteen to start. He was recurring. He wasn't even a regular. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he did his way, his way the into show. the
3: ensemble. And when he came on to DS Nine, he did the same thing. Now he came in obviously as like you know an eight hundred pound gorilla in a lot of respects. But what was really smart was he, he brought out like the the toughness in Cisco. He brought out the fun mm-hmm. in Dax. Right. He could he could basically like with with Kira. These were two people who sort of looked at Starfleet's, you know, weaker moments in kind of the same ways. You know, it was always old time, you know, with uh, with, uh, with with Chief O'Brien. There was a very specific relationship he could have with everybody. As you said, Mark, you put him in, you slot him in anywhere and the guy works. Um, And he's just he, it, it stuns me. That it has taken them this long to say maybe he should be in Picard. I mean, sure, seven and nine, cool and everything,
0: but but Worf almost seems like a no brainer. Well, Well, especially uh, since he almost wasn't in Next Generation.
2: Yeah, and and Roddenberry didn't think of him as when they wanted to do Redemption one and two and make it more about Worf. Roddenberry didn't get it. He's like, he's not a main character on the show. And if you look what they did in Next Generation, the fact that they gave him the relationship with Kalar, you know, mm-hmm. the mother of his son and what happened with Kalar, the whole discommendation storyline. I mean, they ended up doing so much with him and yeah. he became so compelling and they gave him the fact that he, you know, the season four and five opener, Redemption one and two, the Klingon civil war, Lurs and Betor, the whole all of that was amazing, and how he became part of the House of Martok in Deep Space Nine. Yep, he he really turned into this epic character. That, mm-hmm. um, and by the way, that that continues on. In yeah. I love season. that,
3: like you know, on Deep Space Nine, he gets to ride off in the sunset, almost literally, with Martok to go targ hunting. You know, as the uh, Federation ambassador to Konos, you know, just like, hey, yeah, cool. It's like Martok's excited. It's like, finally, like, there's a there's an
1: ambassador who's fun. Well, his relationship know. with Gowron and Martok and obviously we talked about Kor and and then ultimately the relationship he has with his son, Alexander, yeah. who turns yeah. out to be you know, a great disappointment. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's it's, uh, But he's also the worst dad in the world, which is great because you want Klingons to be different than humans. Yeah, They exactly. gave the show a chance to deal with things they couldn't do with the human characters, particularly when they were in Roddenberry's box, you know, the no conflict zone. And then they could do stuff like the enemy where war's like, I'm not giving the Romulans blood. They killed my right. parents. Right. You know, so um, it was just a great character. It was an inspired character and it was an inspired performance by Michael Dorn and continues
2: to be.
0: Well, I, I'm, I, I've never been a big fan of the uh, Klingon soap opera episodes of TNG, but that hasn't uh, taken away my enjoyment of the character of Worf and of Michael Doran as an actor.
1: See, I love Sins of the Father. I don't like mm-hmm. Redemption as much, but I no, love Sins
2: of the Father. Sins of the Father is one of the great episodes of TNG. Yep. Uh, it's such a great episode for battle, come to me! And he gets into the great lines,
1: <laughs> too. He has the, uh, you know, I'm not a married man, and he has... Nice yeah. house. in, Good in
3: uh in, Nice planet. In, another DS9, great moment in, uh, you know, uh, Purgatory Shadow and by Inferno's Light when they're in the, the, Card- the, the Cardassian, the uh, the Dominion uh, internment camp, and they're having their arena fights. Mm. You know, and like, and Worf just takes on Everybody, and he badass. just keeps getting up. It is so badass, man. It's so it badass. Well, no, no,
0: no one could take a pain stick like Worf could. Damn, right? That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's true. So, anyway,
1: uh, uh, maybe a surprise to some, but not to us here on the Trek Sports. Number eight, Worf. And that brings us to the end of episode eight. My and goodness. next week, we return with the final episode the of final our 101. Counting. Indeed, how exciting! How wonderful! <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: how wonderful you
0: are! It's gonna be—it's gonna be surprising. There's gonna be surprises, and people are gonna be. If you thought you were angry now, just wait, because it just has to. You well, watch. it has to be the
1: captains, right? It has to be ten slots, ten captains, right? <laughs> that's what it gotta be. I mean, that's the way. That's the rules. Damn the brakes! Um, it's like what? who makes these rules certainly not us um anyway (laughs) uh this is this has been a a delight and and fun and another insanely long episode um but uh i i I, i'm glad that nobody got short shrift and uh, i'm sure we'll be hearing a lot about this episode because there definitely were some we forgot ensign shrift (laughs) I should drip that. He's not there with out with, uh, with
3: the yeoman strawberries.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And of course, uh, if you want to let us know what you think uh, for good or for ill, please uh, uh, reach out at Inglorious Trek on um, tr- Twitter or Inglorious Trek on Instagram, Inglorious Trek on Facebook. And you can always email us at plus at gmail.com. And if you want to become a Trek subscriber, go to Trek Dot com and um I would encourage you to rate us five stars but I have a feeling that some of you probably want to rate us one star right now they're probably can can I do a half a star no anyway <laughs> can I do negative uh, stars <laughs> negative stars anti anti matter stars and anti stars uh, anti protons <laughs> uh, so um absolutely uh, pure and I want to I want to especially uh our extend our gratitude to the great Mark Rivera who uh, has done such a wonderful job making us sound great throughout this process. And uh, we're so great to have him back. And that's thanks to the largesse of our Trexpress Plus subscribers that we can have Mark continue with the show. Of course, Peter Holmstrom, who uh, was able to pull some of these wonderful clips that have accompanied the countdown. And thank you for uh, sticking it out these many years listening to this countdown. But we're getting close, we're getting <laughs> this to the particular end. Countdown <laughs> almost it's there. This particular countdown, I want to thank uh Rob Burnett for joining us from his observatory. Uh, you, you, you've you indulged us quite admirably. This has uh, been fun. We, we told Rob, Well, we need you for like 90 minutes, uh, two hours, we'll be, get through the whole countdown. It'll be fine. Meanwhile, he's been here for like 46 hours, and okay, he's like, don't, I don't wouldn't go, miss Rob. it. Don't go Rob, we're not but done yet. other way. <laughs> Ashley Miller, I see you are at the Blue Bayou enjoying your meal in Space Sock. <laughs> That's good. And of course, Darren, where's Darth Vader gone?
0: Darth Vader is uh, uh, in the other hallway and uh, he's fine. He's oh. I I've I've asked him not to participate in the podcast. So Yeah, I tell him we can't mix our 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 franchises. Can't. Don't cross the <laughs> lightsabers. Don't
1: cross the streams exactly. So until next week for our grand finale, Keep on trekking, ingloriously of course.